Welcome to the Natural Capital Podcast, produced as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. My name is Rachel Smiley and in the series we explore different natural capital assets and their value to Scottish agriculture and the rural economy, plus the pressures and threats they face. We speak to people, groups, experts, helping to manage, protect and restore these resources, ecosystems and habitats. We are splitting this episode into two parts today. First of all, we're on farm doing a farm wildlife walk with Mary Jane Laurie, and then we're heading back to the office and chatting to David Brown. So let's go for a walk. So here we are out in the farm in Newbridge, Midlothian, on a beautiful sunny day. I'm joined by Mary Jane Laurie and Ian Boyd. Mary Jane, this is your farm. Can you tell us a bit about it and where we are? Yeah, so as you say, we're just in uh, Newbridge, which is really close to Edinburgh Airport, and we're actually really close to Edinburgh City as well. So it's quite an unusual location. We're really close to the city centre, but still um, obviously on agricultural land. So Ransfield's a mixed farm. We've got arable and uh, beef cattle as well. So we've got about 240 hectares of arable uh, a mixture of oilseed rape, winter wheat, winter barley and spring barley and we have about 120 suckler cows. We've just finished calving. Uh, last one was the, the other day. So June is Wildlife Trust's 30 Days Wild Annual Challenge where they ask everyone to do one thing wild a day throughout June. We can provide a link to this in the show notes if you want to find out more. The aim of the campaign is to make people feel more connected to nature and to appreciate the environment we have around us and the benefits this has for everyone which is something we always try to do in this Natural Capital podcast. So our thing today is to go for a farm wildlife walk. Mary Jane, what is a farm wildlife walk and why should you do one? So a little bit more information about the farm, I guess. We've had an agro-environment scheme here for 10 years. And when I first um, married Tom and moved to the farm, it was a farm wildlife walk is kind of a way to, to walk around the farm and see what you've got. So when we were going into that scheme, we walked around the farm together to see, see what sort of options we could put in. And I guess it's just a way of sort of baselining your natural capital is probably the technical term for it. But for most people, it's just wandering around seeing what you've got. So at the time we had some hedges, a lot of them are quite gappy. There were narrow grass margins and where we're standing at the moment we're actually between two arable fields but there's a wetland area in the middle just down and we call it the meadow and that's sort of a unique habitat to our farm we're surrounded by lots of arable farms where we are and it's quite unusual to have such a wet field father-in-law probably less keen on it than I am in terms of agriculture it's not as productive but for wildlife it's actually brilliant so a farm wildlife walk is just a way to look at these different habitats with with fresh eyes so looking at it from a wildlife point of view not necessarily an agricultural point of view and it's just a way of mapping what you've got so because we were doing it for an agri-environment scheme and we did actually physically map everything that we had at the time just to give us a record of what we had and then thought about what we could do with it so for any farmer that's either thinking of a scheme or just wanting to have a record of what they've got it's always a good idea to maybe do a walk and map out the features that you've got and something I really wish I'd done at the time was take more photographs because of the schemes that we've done on the farm we'll maybe go into that in more detail later we've really changed the landscape and it's a shame we don't have more photographs of what it was like before just to kind of look back and compare. So comparing like your first uh, farm wildlife walks to the one that we're on today what are the main differences what's changed on the farm 
where we're standing at the moment, we've got we're, we're on a farm track and either side there are new hedges. So there were no hedges here at all. And at the time it was a way to get funding for the fences actually, just to help fence off the track. But you can see the hedges, I mean, they're significantly taller than us now. Um, they've only been cut, I think, twice in the 12 years they've been in. So they're actually getting pretty bushy. We're now trying to cut them into an A-shape. So you can kind of see that they're starting to form an A-shape. And that just lets the light to the bottom of the hedge as well. You don't want to cut it too tight so that it becomes square and leggy. So the hedges are quite big and bushy at the moment. They're filling out. And yeah, 10, 12 years ago, there weren't, there weren't any hedges here at all. Other parts of the farm, as I mentioned earlier, we did have existing gappy hedges, but we've gapped most of them up, which is quite nice. So we've got a continual line of solid hedge now, which is, which is good for wildlife, but it's also good for keeping stock in and things we've got new fences as part of it and these hedges are now much more more solid the wetland area that we're looking at um, as we walk down a bit we'll see there's a big pond that we dug that was partly to help with the drainage issues that we had we graze it lightly with cattle in the spring which is to help the nesting birds that are in there and we created the pond which sort of soaks some of the water away so that the whole field isn't wet but we've still got a wet habitat for the wading birds there's a couple of wee scrapes which have actually dried up at the moment because we've had such a dry spring, but they're good habitats for the wading birds and the chicks to feed on the insects that are in there. So they weren't there before. There's a sort of loose fence around the, the pond just to keep the cattle off it a bit, but it's so it's fairly natural, scrubby-looking habitat. It's great for wildlife. Just before we head down into the kind of wetland pond area, can you just go back to why the hedges are being cut in an A-shape? What's more information and the benefits of that? Yeah, so you can probably see there's quite a mixture of species in, in the hedge that we've got. So we've got hawthorn, blackthorn, there's a bit of hazel there. Um, there's dog rose occasionally, it's not very common in this hedge, but it's just a good variety of species. And what you don't want is one species to sort of dominate. And a good way to do that is to cut the A-shape just to kind of... If you cut it straight at the sides, the light can't get down to the leaves at the bottom. And, and quite often on farms you'll see what I call leggy hedges, where they've got quite a big trunk at the bottom and then sort of like a cloud of leaves at the top. If you cut it in the A, it allows the sort of branches at the bottom to, to get light. And you'll see on, on our hedges that the branches are actually coming through the fence at the bottom there to get to the light. So it just gives them a bit more of a structure so that longer term it should retain like a solid hedge feature rather than being like a sort of line of leggy hedge plants rather than a solid hedge. Okay, that's great. Well, let's go and take a look at the wetland then. Okay, so we've walked down the track a little bit further now and either side of us we've got the what we call the wetland habitat in the meadow. Um, and I just wanted to describe the hedges that we've we've got here in a bit more detail. So the hedges, as I said earlier, are sort of growing out over the fence there, but we've got a nice mix here with some willow, which is sort of naturally regenerated into the hedge, which I quite like. We've actually left them to grow into a more tree structure, which isn't ideal for the wading birds because then some predators will sit in the trees, but it's kind of just balancing up what we've got here. It's nice to have the hedges and the trees that have naturally regenerated part of the landscape. So we've left the odd one. There's just loads of birds down here as well. We've probably, we might be able to pick up some of the noises, but we've already seen a yellowhammer and a linnet today, which is really nice. And uh, Rachel thought she saw a black cap as well. So great to have all these little birds just popping in and out the hedge as we're walking down here. And this habitat wasn't here before, so it's, it's great um, to have that here on the farm now. 
and in amongst the bottom of the hedge we've got just overgrown grass basically along the side of the track but it's great for wildlife as well. There's cuckoo flower, I don't know if we can see any today actually, but they're quite a good plant for orange tip butterfly and I think it's green veined white butterfly. They lay their eggs on those and they're a food plant for the caterpillars. So in the summer down here there's loads of orange tip butterflies so I like coming down with the kids just to spot them and ringlet butterflies as well. They, they like these sort of grass verges. So we basically leave them uncut, they go a bit wild, it's a bit messy but it's a great habitat. We don't use this track an awful lot for access so there's no harm in letting it get a bit overgrown. And have you seen an increase in the different types of birds and butterflies since you've been working on the hedges and letting the kind of wetland establish? In terms of farmland birds, definitely. I think I've said on a previous podcast, my biggest regret about the whole scheme is not doing a baseline survey in advance. I'm a bit of a botanist but I'm definitely not qualified enough to identify all the plants and when it comes to birds uh, not so hot on them but I do know some of the common ones that are going about so I think if I did it again I would probably get someone to come out uh, someone qualified (laughs) to come out and do a full bird survey Um, I'm really interested in the pollinators we've got I don't know an awful lot about them but I'm learning a bit more we've actually got a PhD student who's working on the farm this summer she's doing a project on the pollinators alongside the hedge so I'll be really interested to see what she's what she's found I think she's actually using this hedge as one of her baseline um, hedges for recording so anecdotally I'd say yes I've seen more but I've no concrete evidence which is a shame I wish I'd done something just to record what impact we've had but just walking down you can see there's more than there was before. Even just like looking at it right now there's there's an awful lot of bees and hoverflies and stuff so yeah I can see why they maybe picked this hedge to use because it kind of relates back to the episode we did with Lorna was talking about bees and butterflies and and the various things you can do to try and provide habitats for them and this seems like the the perfect example for that. I think with the hedge as well it's important to remember not to cut it every year so there's loads of hawthorn flowering in the hedge at the moment and that's great for the bees so that's why there's so many things flying around today. If you cut it every year it doesn't flower as much so we try and cut every second year. I think as I said to start with with a new hedge you obviously don't cut it very often until it becomes established but if you can leave it a bit longer and it lets it flower and set fruit some years. Obviously you need to cut it sometimes for maintenance and for access and things but if you can let bits grow it just gives that extra bit of habitat for wildlife Um, there's a big bumblebee just (laughs) landed on the leaf in front of us there one thing that Rachel and I were just talking about before we started actually is some of the apps that you can get to identify stuff so I've got a good app called Seek so I don't know, we'll see if we can identify what that bee is Yeah, I use the app to identify birds, that's the only way that I knew that that was a black cap earlier, it's called Merlin and you do this sound you record the sound and it tells you all the different birds that are nearby i don't think it's 100 percent, so it might not be a black cat but it's pretty informative and it helps you learn what different type of birds are so this app mary jane you, you literally just open your camera and take a, is a video of it you just open your camera on the app and it starts going through starts off at class and then gets to genus and then sometimes species so it managed to get that to bumblebee which was helpful but it didn't tell me what species i guess because it's moving around and also i am quite high up and i'm short so i couldn't get <laughs> i couldn't get close enough to to see but i'm guessing it's either a white-tailed bumblebee or a buff-tailed bumblebee but i'll see if he comes a bit closer yeah, so that was great. That was a white-tailed bumblebee. He uh, took off just as I was getting him identified there. But it's, it's a great app for 
anyone that doesn't know an awful lot about wildlife and they want to find out a bit more it's great for plants not so good for things like insects as we just discovered it's quite tricky to to get them to stay still long enough and to get zoomed in enough to see them but i find it really useful for, for, for plants particularly We'll put a link to the apps that we've discussed in the show notes so you can listeners can go on and have a look. So it's clear that the habitat creation you've done on farm is really good for biodiversity and wildlife, but what about your farm business? Has it got any benefits to that? I think without the funding for a scheme, to be honest, we wouldn't have done any of this. Like everyone else, we're trying to run a farm business and the main thing is if it's going to cost us money, we're unlikely to do it. But there are some low cost and no cost options that people can do. So things like digging the ponds, we did get funding for them, but we've got our own digger. It was sort of, you know, a couple of hours job for someone to go and sit in the digger. So it wasn't an expensive thing to do. Fencing, as everyone will know at the moment, is extortionate and it's very difficult to to get funding for that unless you're in an agri-environment scheme. And even then, the scheme doesn't cover the full cost of fencing. But if it's fencing that you're going to do, or you need to do anyway, so in this instance where we are, as I was saying, with the hedges, we planted the hedges, we're managing the wetlands, so we got the fencing paid for through the scheme, but it's actually just made our fields much more stock-proof, which is great. So we've got grazing cattle both sides. At the moment, we're grazing on a low density because it's bird nesting season. Um, There's lapwings use both fields, so you don't want too high a grazing density for that. So... The funding under the Agri-Environment Scheme helped just fund the fencing so that we could graze these suitable density. I think some of the other options that we did, like wild bird seed, so we're actually out the scheme now. We've not put wild bird seed back in ourselves because it's too expensive for the seed and just the time and the fuel to establish it. If we got into another scheme in the future, we'd probably consider putting it in again. I personally really like it as an option for arable farmers, for a, a you know a corner that's of the field that's maybe a bit awkward to get into with a combine, to sow that with a bit of wild bird seed. Just a, it just provides an, an extra habitat, but as I say, I, I understand it is expensive for people, and if you're doing a couple of hectares, you're obviously losing on, out on quite a bit of income from the crops. So without the funding of the scheme, I don't think we would have done as much as we've done. We were lucky to get in and just made the most of it when, when we could. Mary Jane, I know you've been helping a lot of people with EECS applications, which have just closed. What types of things were people applying for through that this year? I think at the moment budgets are tight with the Scottish Government, so we were a bit cautious about who we were putting into the scheme, just so we made sure that people that we were applying for were going to get in. So organics is still quite a big priority for the Scottish Government, so we've done a couple of organic maintenance renewals for people that have come to the end of their five-year scheme and they're going back in. And we've also done a couple of farms with triple SIs. So triple SIs are special sites of scientific interest and they're a designation made by Nature Scott. So there's quite a few farmers in our areas will have the odd triple SI. And if they've got a habitat within that, that's a priority for management. Then, So we've done one, for example, in a lowland raised bog, which is um, quite a scarce habitat in the Lothians. And he's doing some um, scrub removal on the bog just to try and maintain it. So that's gone back in. He's actually added a whole load of options across the whole farm, which is brilliant. I always encourage farmers, if they're going to do the triple SI, try and do a bit more. I'm probably guilty of forcing them to do more than they want to, but I think it's a great opportunity to get habitats in, get a bit of funding and just make the farm better for biodiversity. And, you know, a bit of money for them, of course. It's got to be worthwhile for them financially too. And so you mentioned the the lowland bog. Did you say that it's kind of scarce in here is there any other habitats that are unique or unique species on the farm 
on our farm, probably where we are is one of the sort of rarest habitats in our area, the wetland. It's not particularly rare. There are other farms obviously nearby with, with wet holes and wet fields, but because we're in quite a arable area, there's a lot of farms that have obviously put in drainage and things. Where we are, it's pretty rare to find any species-rich grassland, for example. Most people will have drained their fields. You know, We're talking hundreds of years ago when people first started putting drains in and things and fertilizers over the last sort of 40 50 years will have improved soils to the point where species rich grassland is really rare in the Lothians so another one of the applications that I was doing they've got species rich grassland in their scheme and it's a natural one and the only reason it's still there is because it's really difficult to access with machinery so it's almost like a cliff edge and then quite steep and it's got a lovely mix of plants I was out there um, a couple of weeks ago doing the survey for the EEC scheme and just fantastic range of plants but that is pretty uncommon in the Lothians as I say just because we're in such a productive area that people have over the years improved their land for agriculture probably at the expense of these habitats. So, well, we just have a walk up to this field here and we'll see if we can get in and have a look at this pond, see if we can see any wading birds today. Yeah, that would be great. Have a closer look. So we're down at the wetland now and we can see the birds are here. It's a wagtail, I think, but it's a bit too far away for us to use our app. You mentioned we get waders here. What type of waders do you get? Yeah, so we always have lapwing here. They, they do try and nest every every year. I'm not seeing any today, so they're maybe just hiding. We often hear curlews, so I usually hear the curlews rather than seeing them, but they come in, particularly in the winter. Often oyster catchers as well. They particularly like wading and guddling around at the edge of this, this pond here. So this is quite a good pond because it's got like a gradated edge into it. It's not like a really steep edge one, so that little wagtail's just now walking around on the, the mud flat bit, just pecking away, getting insects. So that's quite good for a lot of the wading birds that I've mentioned they all like having somewhere that they can guddle around in the edge of the water so it's it's a great habitat for wading birds we try and do our best with it just to encourage them uh, as I say with the low grazing density and these ponds that we created. So I guess this wetland is the end of the farm wildlife walk as I said Ian and I are doing this as part of the 30 days wild this is our activity for today doing this farm wildlife walk Mary Jane, do you have any other suggestions that farmers or landowners can do to get involved in the 30-day challenge? I think as a starting point for everybody would be to to do that farm walk um, just to sort of assess what habitats they've got. But aside from the sort of business aspect of it, anyone that's listening that's got kids, I've got three wee boys, they're seven, five and two, and they love getting outside. So we've actually done, there's an RSPB challenge as well. I can't remember the name of it, but we can link it in the show notes. And they got a little certificate at the end of it, so we chose some activities to do. One of the ones we did, it was in the autumn, we did a fungal foray, so we used a little sea cap that I've got, and we identified, I think it was 25 different types of fungi between us and the golf course next door, which was probably more exciting for me, but they love just looking in the trees and finding all the different things. But if you have got kids, just collecting things as well, you know, like conkers and acorns and seeds and understanding where the trees come from. We collected some acorns last autumn and we planted them in pots, and the idea is that we're going to plant the seedlings out for the farm as they get a bit bigger so I guess farmers could once they've assessed what they've got maybe think about these low cost and no cost options that they can do and and count that as part of their 30 days wild I mean lots of farmers spend a lot of time sitting in tractors and they will naturally be noticing what's around them in in the habitats that they're working in but it's worth sometimes just getting out of the cab and having a bit of a walk around and get a bit more connected with nature and it, uh, yeah for me it certainly boosts happiness and with the kids it burns off a bit of energy so everyone's happy at the end of the day.
And in terms of re resources that are available for farmers, if they're looking to kind of improve habitats or biodiversity or do anything on their farm, what kind of resources are available to them? In terms of doing their own research, the FAS website's a great place to start. We've got a biodiversity section on there. There's loads of fact sheets just about different types of habitats and wildlife that they might expect to see. If you're interested in birds, the RSPB's got a section for farmers on their website as well. So if you know you've got a particular bird or wading birds, for example, they've got really good information. And it's just like, you know, one web page for each type of wading birds, but it's a really good baseline bit of information to, to understand what you can do for these birds on, on your farm. And then if you want to go into a bit more detail, there is funding under the Integrated Land Management Plan. You can do the full Integrated Land Management Plan first, which is a look at your farm business as a whole, not just biodiversity. But then there's also the Specialist Plan as well, which is for biodiversity, and that's a £1,000 grant towards the cost of doing a biodiversity audit. And that would bring in a specialist biodiversity or conservation advisor to look at your farm as a whole and make some suggestions, kind of like what we did here. And then you might consider going for a full EEC scheme after that. So just to finish up, what are your future plans for your farm? Ideally in the future we'd like to get back into an agri-environment scheme. It just wasn't going to be possible this time with the, the way that the points are for the system. I know in the future years after the basic payment, whatever comes next for subsidies, there will be more focus on biodiversity. We all need to be concerned about biodiversity loss and farmers are doing great things in Scotland as we've seen today without, you know, doing anything big or special you can all do a little bit more for for wildlife so if there's a future scheme that we can get into we would definitely be going for that so we might bring back some of the options that we've dropped out like the wild bird seed we also did retention of winter stubbles which provides a seed source for birds over the winter so funding under an agri-environment scheme to do more options like that would be great or if there's a scheme we're just sort of smaller amounts of funding to do small options we might do more you know small scale tree planting or, or hedge planting i guess we'll just wait and see what what funding comes out but meantime we'll just keep managing what habitats we've got to the best of our ability perfect well we have a walk back up and see what birds we can see on the way <laughs> and bees We are back inside the office now and I'm happily joined by David Brown. David, can you introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, thanks Rachel. Yes, uh, my name is David Brown. I started with SEC Consulting in April based at the St Boswell's office. I have been self-employed environmental consultant, habitat management contractor for over 20 years. During that time, worked for SEC quite a bit. So this is a new position. I know SEC quite well practical side of my business involved the management of nature reserves, other sites of high nature conservation value, peatland restoration work. The work in the nature reserves involved everything from scrub control, woodland management, management species, rich grasslands, wetlands, invasive species, surveying, etc, etc. So quite a wide and, and varied practical background, as well as the consultancy side. So yeah, your background's really relevant to what we were discussing on our walk yesterday with Mary Jane. We did a wildlife walk as part of the 30 Days Wild in June campaign. And I think you were also undertaking one in the borders. Can you tell us a little bit about the walk that you went on? Yes, I was asked along to the Farm Advisory Service organised walk entitled Organic Flocks and Wildlife Walks. It was hosted by Martin Lucy Tile at Bairnkin Farm near Jedburgh. And the focus was on organic production. 
whilst also looking at the environment on the farm and the work that the Tyle family have undertaken over the years under agri-environment schemes and a lot of work they've done themselves. Yeah, that's a pretty good name for a, a walk. I really like it. Can you tell us a bit about the restoration and habitat creation that you've seen out when you were on farm and any of the biodiversity aspects? Yes, it was it was particularly interesting, I thought, because we often hear about the, the term getting used, of wildlife corridors, it's a, a term that gets used, kind of throwaway term almost, it's used an awful lot. Yesterday was an opportunity to see some fantastic examples of that on the farm, where previously there had been bare fence lines or no fence lines at all, and the uh, work that had been done over the years to create new hedgerows or fence-off water margins had created some very obvious corridors across the landscape. I think it was partly because the location we were in and the, the, the part of the farm was, was bounded by woodland and forestry, that the hedgerows running from side to side, running from woodland to woodland, it just made it look very obvious that you could explain to anyone the actual, what a wildlife corridor is on the ground. It was very stark and very obvious and very effective. Um, and obviously has transformed the landscape on their farm to the benefit of wildlife and stock, as as we heard. So was it the farmer that put in the hedges? A combination over the years of agri-environment scheme work and work by the, the family themselves to, to do it. One notable example out with the, the agri-environment scheme, it was, it was something that uh, Matt and Lucy had done themselves, was the coppicing of an old hedge on the farm. So it had already been there, but it was what we call, colloquially call a, a lollipop hedge, the stock the sheep had been getting into the bottom of it for many years, and it was devoid of, of low growth, and it wasn't performing many functions at all. It wasn't helping shelter the stock. It wasn't performing much of a wildlife corridor. So Matt had um, gone in and coppiced the hedge, taking it down, cutting all the plants down to about so six inches, eight inches from the ground. And then the gaps that uh, were there already have filled in with new planting. And the hedge today looks absolutely fantastic. It joins the farm, two parts of the farm, woodland on the farm, to the centre of the farm, onto another hedgerow network and onto woodland and trees. And it looks absolutely super. And it's a, I think it's an often underused uh, tool, coppice in these hedges, because quite frankly, it's quite a scary thing to do, to take a chainsaw to, to the old hedge. But this was a, a very good example of how it works successfully. And do you know if the farmer has seen any benefits to biodiversity? Has he seen an increase in birds or any other mammals on the farm? Yes, I think bird life in particular has benefited a great deal. And you can see that as you're walking about. They've also created nine ponds, which are also part of the interlinked chain of the network. So the bird life in particular, small mammals, insect life, just a fantastic setup. Uh, and a fa- fantastic lot of habitat creation and everything being linked together. One of the uh, striking things that came from yesterday was how these new conservation measures have greatly benefited the actual management on the farm and the animal stock husbandry. They do a form of rotational grazing and the, the new subdivisions to previously large fields have meant that stock handling has been a lot easier. They, they've been able to transform their grazing regime and manage that much more closely. Just when it comes to stock handling, they now have good boundaries along smaller fields where it's easier to handle the stock. The hedges themselves providing a lot of shelter for the stock in, in poor weather and something that we 
often forget in Scotland is the, the hedgerows, good hedges, also provide a great deal of shade for stock when it does get hot. We're going through a period of weather just now where it, down here anyway, it's, it's particularly dry, if not particularly hot. But our livestock's not used to particularly hot weather events. And when it does come, some very valuable shade can provide these hedgerows as well. So we often think about conservation and farming it's fairly separate entities, but yesterday was a very good example of conservation work that's been undertaken, actually benefiting the farm business and helping these people in the management of their, of their farm and in their livestock. So how long ago was it that there was fences and not hedgerows on the farm? Well, the family have been undertaking this work now for, for over 20 years. Um, so it's been a, a long, gradual process, um, during which time they've, they've been able to get into some of the agri-environment schemes also at the same time doing things off their own back to get to where they are today. But um, as I say, it's, it's been done very much as a twofold process to, to help wildlife and conservation on the farm, but it's also helped the farm and it's made quite a difference to the, to the management that they have. And being an organic system as well, the whole thing, the farming and the conservation work, works very well together. The planting of hedges is something that Mary Jane spoke about yesterday as well because she's done a lot on her farm and one thing she regrets not doing is a biodiversity baseline survey mm, Yeah. before yeah. the hedges went in. Yeah, yeah. Did the farm yesterday do anything like that before they were planted? No, no. It's something that actually came up in conversation with one of the one of the people I was speaking to at, at the time. It would be great if we had the vision at the time to do some of these things because I think in the past some of the agri-environment schemes that I've worked on where we've not quite but getting towards transforming a landscape with a, with a number of hedges that could get could go in back in the days when perhaps wasn't a limit on the value of some of the schemes and the hedgerow creation was quite extensive on some farms you really did get to the point where you were tr- transforming a, a farm landscape and where there had been just bare fields before you now have an intricate network of of world as i say wildlife corridors all across the farm but the benefit to wildlife we end up having to re- rely on just observations and people's evidence and well you know i'm seeing things in greater numbers now and we, we take it sometimes take it for granted you know you put put in a hedge and i know people at the back of these schemes they want empirical data and they want to see things but you don't really get the opportunity before you do this kind of thing to draw up a baseline if you're going to use it in the future it has to be relatively formal you know you have to have a set procedure and manual which by you would work to to record in the bird life or the insect life so it's not if you just want to have anecdotal evidence then that that would be fine the opportunity if it ever arose to do a proper baseline study before going into one of these schemes in a big way would be hugely valuable Um, and it would be great to come back and and quantify everything that we've done but we've just not had the i think the opportunity in the past really you either do it with anecdotal evidence of the people on the ground saying, oh, it's great now, the, the bird life that I'm seeing is fantastic. Or you go down the route of formal um, bird surveys that are done to certain, there's a certain procedure they're done so many times, they're done at certain times a day. So there's not much in between. Yeah. So I think I think that's why, unless you go from anecdotal, you're actually talking about something that's really quite involved. So there's maybe not the opportunity or the, the wherewithal to, to do that in the past. It would be something that would be really, really worthwhile. 
But at the end of the day, if the anecdotal evidence, if you if you've done a scheme on a farm and the, the people that live and work in the farm, you're able to go to them in, in several years' time and you go back and you're speaking to them and the, they're able to regale you with stories of, of what they've been seeing. And I mean, that that's enough for me. If the people that are there, you go back and say, oh, you have no idea what we've been seeing. And, or alternatively, you've maybe done a scheme on a farm and you go back five years, ten years down the line to redo an agri-environment scheme where you're there for a different reason. And you've been paying attention to what you've been seeing. You've been taking notes as you've been doing your environmental audit. And you go back in and meet the, the farmer and say, oh, what a day I've had and I've seen this, 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 this. And you come out with your list and they're, they're delighted. You know, it's really nice. It's, really? You've seen that? Oh, I, I. And it's stuff that in their day-to-day, they don't get the time to enjoy it. And they don't get the time to record it for definite. Um, but if you can go back and say that you've seen a lot of things, it's really quite heartening. And people take a lot from that, and you're able to maybe enlighten them a wee bit as to species, wee birds that they, they didn't know they had. And it's it's quite rewarding, and it's quite nice. And I think people like getting that feedback. It's positive feedback in a, in a world where negativity is all too prevalent. You know, just to go back and tell someone you've seen a pair of curlew in the ground, or you've seen some goldfinches, or something else a wee bit unusual, you know, it's, it's really rewarding. It's really nice. When you're doing your surveys, do you ever use the apps that are being brought out? To We were using them yesterday on Mary Jane's farm. So the I think Mary Jane used one called Seek that could scan any plant or insect and tell you what it was. I've not used insect. I've used plant one, which is very effective. My take on the plant one, I've never been a botanist as, as such, but in my habitat management work over the years, obviously managing places, species-rich grasslands a lot, I've grown accustomed to seeing a lot of different species. And, and it's only by repeated exposure to things you learn how to identify them. And in the past, when you had to take out a key to try and identify wildflowers, quite an involved process. This new process of just having your phone and photographing it and getting an instant result which in my experience can be very, very accurate 99% of the time. That instant result is a great thing because it seems to, in, in my brain anyway, it seems to register. And you do that a few times with the app and you get an instant, rather than having to go back home, try to key things something out in a book, which is quite a tedious and invo- involved process, you get kind of fed up with that quite quickly. But you use the app and you ping, it's X. And you do that a few times and it, I think it sticks in, in your head a wee bit better. So I think as a tool going forward, that's a fantastic, fantastic thing. Um, they're, they're really effective. I've not tried an insect one, but I know that the plant one that I've been using is, is very good. And it's helped me greatly. And there's also a bird song one as well, the Merlin. You can download and press record and record your audio and it tells you all the birds that are singing nearby. Yeah, I've never used yeah. that one either. Only, only the plant one. I've always wondered how the bird one would work. I have an app which has all the bird so- most of the bird songs, bird calls on it. If you hear something and you think, well, maybe it's that, you can play it and you can either get informed that it's not what you thought it was or yeah. it can tell you it was. But I've never actually tried one of the ones that take the sound check and, and record the, the bird singing. I always wondered how well they would work in terms of the proximity to the bird song. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to know how, how good they are at picking up a, a song from, from a fair distance away. Um, it would be very interesting to try, but certainly something worth looking at, yeah. But I think that instant result that you get is very valuable, rather than having to go back. In the past, I've recorded things on my phone and go back and sent it to someone, what's this? And by the time you do that, the audio quality is not very good. So 
we often think technology is more of a hindrance, but that certainly is a benefit. And can we just talk a little bit about your work out with what you were doing yesterday on the farm? So the kind of wider work in the borders, is there a farm similar to where you were yesterday? Yes, we're quite lucky in the borders. We've got, we've got a really good diverse rare habitats right across the, the region because we we go from the the uplands inland around about St Mary's Loch and the, the hill farms up in there all the way right through to the Mercer Berwickshire. So we're very lucky that you can be working one day, you can be out looking at uh, Heather Moorland up in the hills. The next day you could be down on an intensive arable farm down in the Mercer. We've got a huge spread of habitats and we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff. We've got a huge variety. It's a hugely interesting place to work um, and it's a privilege to go out on, on farms and when I get asked to go now and when I've been asked to go out previously to do work for SAC, it's great when you get your maps together and you head out to somewhere you've never been before. There's always something new to see and there's always something a little bit different and you get into bits of the world where you've never been before. There's there's large chunks of the borders where the main road arteries kind of bypass them a wee bit and it's a wee bit of an unknown wee big bits of ground in there and you've not been in there before and you get asked to go and do a farm and it's a real privilege to get around and you're looking at stuff that you enjoy looking at and it all registers you know you remember these things it's it's uh, it's a really nice nice part of the world here it really is so david why should farmers get involved with their natural capital and biodiversity on farm and what resources are there for them to do it well, I think uh, just going back to yesterday, because it's fresh in the mind that we were on a farm where the, the owners have undertaken a lot of work over the years that gives them a huge amount of personal satisfaction and pleasure to see all the wildlife on the farm, change the farm environment fundamentally since they've, they've been in management and they, they get to enjoy that every day when they're out working. It may not be the thing that's at the forefront of the mind, everything, when you've got sheep and cattle to deal with, but... At the end of the day, it's something that they can enjoy themselves and take pleasure in what they've achieved. They've also, in that particular example, the the farm has diversified over the years. They've got holiday cottages and a campground. So they now have, as well as that, they now have a very diverse and wildlife-rich farm that they can use in an advert for their tourism side of the business. So rather than people just going to stay in the cottage or stay in the campground, they can now go out on farm walks where they can be rewarded by seeing all this wildlife that's that's there for them to see. And it just adds to the quality of their stay. It adds to the quality of the product that the farm can offer in terms of the diversification. So there's all these, say, not exactly hidden benefits, but they're not immediately obvious when you think about, you know, what a farm can do if you're, if you're doing something down in the wildlife and conservation side of things. There's loads of spin-offs there. So that example in particular has been very beneficial to them. That's a, a selling point over just an ordinary campground or an ordinary holiday cottage when you've got farm walks at the back door. You could just out the back door onto the farm and in amongst the wildlife. And that's a, a huge benefit to them and a, and a huge selling point. So it's done the farm business a, a great deal of good as well on, on the diversification side. And in terms of the access to things, we, we still have for the next year, we've still got the EECS, the Agriculture Environment Climate Scheme. will be open next year and for farm businesses to undertake environmental work. Farm Advisory Service also offer the provision of biodiversity audits for farms and there's funding available to that. So if farmers wanted to get a baseline on their natural capital, that's a, an option that they may well want to go down if they look at the FAS website. 
and the government uh, ARPID website also has information on the Agriculture Environment Climate Scheme too. And a lot of these measures are, are available under those scheme. Thank you for your time today, David. We will put notes for everything that you've spoke about in the show notes of this episode. Thanks, Rachel. And thank you all for listening and joining us on our farm walk. And thank you for joining us on this Natural Capital episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast wherever you listen to them. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and get in touch if you want to find out more. You may also enjoy some of our other shows such as Rural Roundup, Crofting Matters or Thrill of the Hill. There's a whole range of other podcasts and resources available on the Fast Sounds page and Farming Advisory Service website. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.